Well, good morning. It's a blessing to be with you today. Um, and thank God for your pastor and allowing me to come and share with you all today. I'm Pastor Bond. Uh, call me Dwayne. I understand that's how y'all roll here. Uh, Dwayne from Charlotte. And uh, actually, we have a church about five years in in the South Charlotte area. And, uh, and Fred and I are really good friends. And uh, he said that, that I was like a father figure, man. I just, I don't know how to take that. I thought I was a little young, but, uh, but anyway, we have a really good relationship, and our wives are, are really developing a great friendship. And so I really enjoyed the first service, and I'm looking forward to enjoying you all as well. Can you all say amen? amen. All right. But uh, th- in the first service, he told him he warned you all that, uh, that when I say something that you think you agree with, that may be true or really is true, just say amen. I wouldn't be mad. That just makes me feel at home, right? So anyway, we're going to get live and we're going to have fun. Uh, amen? amen? He's saying, who is this guy? <laughs> anyway, if you would stand, let's take a look at God's word, John 15. Um, we're going to be reading uh, verses 1 through 8 in John 15. The word of the Lord says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that he may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, He is that bears fruit, bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for bringing us into this venue of opportunity to meet with Jesus. So, Father, we thank you that you interrupted our normal, natural routines so that we can position ourselves to hear from you. And so I'm grateful for every family, every person here in this building For I recognize that they have been brought here by you. And so, God, I pray that as we both attentively seek to understand your truth, I pray that you would speak through your spirit, speak through your word. I pray that the spirit of God would illuminate within our hearts the ability, the fertility, the enablement for us to hear specifically from heaven. Lord, you know your people. You know who belong to you. You know who don't belong to you. And so I pray that, God, as we have gathered together today to experience you, I pray that that would happen in a fresh and a new way. Thank you, God, for your word, and thank you that you have not left your church without direction, without clarity, without a voice from heaven. God, we can sit attentively and submit ourselves under your authority. So, Lord, we know that your word is living, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We know it can go out, and we know it can divide and and we can get into the nitty-gritty and the nooks and crannies of our hearts, things that we have hold, held on to, things 
sinful areas of our lives that we have rested in. I, I just pray that you would just cultivate us today. And I pray that you would move me out of the way that I would be an instrument for your use and that your word will be proclaimed to your people and that their lives will be changed forever and that this community will be changed because of them being here today. I thank you for the work that you're doing through Pastor Fudd and all the other elders that support him, and I pray that you would continue. Let this feed that work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, more and more I am uh, becoming convinced that uh, there is a tendency for all of us who know Christ uh, to seek to live independent of him, but at the same time have a desire to be fruitful and productive as Christians. So in other words, we have this paradoxical idea that we can live independent of God, but yet bear fruit and be productive. And I think that's the tension that all of us wrestle with living dependent to God and living independent of God. I think this is a common battle that we face all as Christians. You see, we look around and we see people that have been used by God and we see God doing great things in other people's lives and we say, God, would you please just do that in my life? But yet we miss the disconnect between our dependence upon Jesus and the fruit. We think as if I... Uh, want this, then I will get this. But the reality is that oftentimes we have this great desire to, to, to be fruitful, but yet we don't understand its connection with our dependence upon Christ. And so we go throughout the Christian life and we think that our salvation will guarantee that we will be fruitful. And so we just re- we get saved and then we rest in that salvation only and then we hope for the fruit to come. Jesus gives us a deliberate word. He says, abide in me and you will bear fruit. But yet oftentimes we don't think that we need to. You see, something inside of us, inside of you and inside of me, convinces us that we can be amazing Christians. Do great works for God. And live independent of him. You see, we have this this unspoken thing in us that says, I can do this by myself. I really don't need Jesus. Jesus gave me salvation, and and that was enough for me. I I don't really need anything else from him. It's almost like we're trying to drive a car without gas, but we don't realize that that same car that God has given us needs to go to the gas station. Unless you've got some of that tricky stuff that can get in there and cause you not to be able to need gas. But, but most of all, most of us, our cars need gas, right? We're in Rock Hill, but we're not in deep South Carolina where we got vegetable oil and gas, do we? <laughs> you see, somewhere we, we come to the realization that we need them. You know, you see, let, me, let me tell you what, what, what I struggle with in my life oftentimes is this idea that I can be a Christian, and I can coast in Christ. I don't know if many of you all remember when you used to ride bikes. Some of you all maybe still ride bikes. Um, I don't ride bikes too often. But I remember when I was growing up, I had a 10-speed, and and that 10-speed was one of those real fast 10-speeds, right? Now they got, what, 14 and 15 and 16 speeds. 
Well, my 10 speed was pretty fast, and I would love when I would go up the hill, but I would even love it more when I would go down the hill. Because going down the hill created velocity that was not contingent upon me. And all I had to do was really just coast, right? You know how you do the reversal thing? You know, you kind of go back and get real cute. Sometimes you take your hands off the handlebars and kind of look around, see if anybody's looking at you, hoping that you won't fall, right? That was me, right? I was just going backwards, coasting through life because what? The trajectory of the hill determined my destination. You see, oftentimes we think that the the trajectory of Christians headed to heaven will automatically allow us to be able to coast in Christ. And so we coast in his grace that we don't understand instead of abiding in Christ. You see, we want to impact but depend upon ourselves to get it done. And then one day we wake up and we say, wow, what does the fruit look like in my life? Was I really as fruitful as I should have been in Christ? Let me tell you something. No abiding equals no worthwhile fruit. Let church say amen. A little louder. Amen. You see, Jesus has saved us to bear fruit for his glory. Say bear fruit. Bear fruit, bear fruit. God, he has saved us in order to bear fruit. He wants us to be a fruitful branch for the world around us. But the fruit doesn't come through independence. The fruit comes from utter dependence. And I want to live my life not independent from Christ. I want to live my life in desperate, utter dependence of Jesus. And I know that's your desire as well, You see, as a person who loves farming, right, I love farming. I don't live in South Carolina, but I love farming, right? I used to live in Maryland, right? used to live in Upper Marlboro. It wasn't really a farm town, but I spent a lot of time in Roanoke, Virginia with my grandfather, and we did a lot of gardening together um, until he passed. And so I told myself that when I moved to North Carolina, the first thing I want to do is make sure I got enough room for a garden. And so I built, uh, put a garden into my backyard up in uh, Wesley Chapel, up in uh, South Charlotte. But I also created an orchard. I got like three or four uh, fruit trees, and I had two other ones, but the fungus hit them and I had to cut them. I think I was grieving like I lost a loved one. But, uh, but I love to have fruit trees, right? But I don't plant the fruit trees because I want them to be barren, right? I plant the fruit trees so that I can receive fruit, Today, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to help us understand the beauty of abiding in Jesus and the beauty of experiencing God-glorifying fruit. Now, let me give you a little context of John 15 to help you understand. Many of you are familiar with John 14 where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and all that kind of stuff. What is happening during this time is Jesus is dealing with the uncertainties and fears that are within his disciples as Judas has departed in betrayal. And so Jesus is is about to die and leave the earth, and Peter is moments away from denying him. And so you got Judas' betrayal, you got Jesus about to die, and then you have Peter about to deny Jesus. Jesus is dying and Peter is denying, right? Remember that? That's my king, right? He says, I haven't forgotten about you. Jesus says, I am going to prepare a place for you, and I'm coming again, and I'm going to be with you forever. I'm doing exactly what my father desired. 
And let me tell you something. You will, be, you will do even more greater ministry than I will because I am going to my Father. And look, if you need anything while I'm away, ask and you shall receive. You see, Jesus was laying out to his disciples his insurance policy. He was saying, while you are on earth, love me and obey me. And because I know you can't love and obey me on your own, in your own strength and power, I'm going to send you this spirit called the Holy Spirit. And it's going to dwell with you and be in you. It's going to make a home inside of you. It's going to live within your heart and your soul and tabernacle and dwell within you. It will be present with you forever. And not only that, it will teach you. It will bring to your remembrance everything that I've told you. Rest in my departure. Yes, I understand that Judas is betraying me. I understand that I'm about to die. And I understand that Peter is about to deny me. But rest in my peace because peace is with you. You see, things are about to turn out bad. But trust in what I am doing for the glory of the Father. And so as Jesus is sharing this discourse, he is walking along and he sees these, uh, sees these grapevines and he begins to teach his disciples. He runs up on the grapevines and he teaches them another lesson. Jesus says, yes, your obedience comes from the work of the Holy Spirit in you, but also God wants to be glorified through the fruit that is produced in your life. And he is speaking to his disciples and guess what? He is speaking to us as well. And because Jesus knows that bearing fruit is possible to the degree that we remain in his grace, he shares with us verses 1 through 8. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. This is the seventh I am that Jesus has shared with his disciples. First of all, he says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the living water. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. You see, what is he talking about when he says this idea of true vine? Well, Jesus is turning back into Old Testament history. You see, throughout the scripture, Israel was referred to as the vine. Okay? Say the vine. That's who Israel was, right? They were God's set-apart uh, set apart people under God's care and attention to bear fruit for God, right? God was going to bear all the fruit through Israel, but yet Israel rebelled against God and produced wild grapes, or as the Bible says, an empty vine. In other words, his chosen people became a degenerate plant that yielded rotten fruit, according to Isaiah 5 and Jeremiah 2. You see, what John is saying here is that Jesus is the true vine that fulfills what God had intended for Israel. In other words, Jesus embodies the true people of God. He is the true Israel. He says, I am the true vine. I'm all that should have been in Israel. And the father is the vine dresser or the gardener who takes care and cultivates the vine in the vineyard. And then he goes down in verse 2, and he lets us in on this story, right? Verse 2, he says, Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So, first of all, you got a vine, that's Jesus. And then, secondly of all, in verse 2, you got branches. You got two types of branches, right? Y'all see two branches there? Just say amen. All right. Just want to make sure I'm honest. 
right? He says, some of you all are here will produce fruit. Some, of your branch, some, some branches here will produce fruit. And then he says, there are other branches here that won't produce fruit. Okay, so you got a vine. you got two branches. One that produces fruit and another one that does not produce fruit. He said he takes it away if it does not produce fruit, but if it will produce fruit, he does what? He prunes it. He prunes it, right? That's right. That's happening right now in this church, right now. There are two types of branches here. There are some that God is pruning, and there are some that are dead. So Jesus is speaking to, to his disciples, and he's also speaking to us. Now, having fruit trees and grapevines, right? I know you guys have never imagined seeing a black dude that loves fruit trees and grapevines. Hey, man, my introduction to a black dude was the fact that he loved fruit vines, uh, uh, grapevines, and and fruit trees. Go figure, right? I know y'all are tweeting that right now, right? (laughs) Dang, man, I went to service one of his black dudes talking about fruit trees and grapevines. Wow. But I know exactly what he's talking about, right? A vine produces branches. Right? We are connected to the vine just like branches are connected. However, some branches are fruit-bearing branches, and other branches look like they belong, but they aren't producing fruit. In many ways, they are pretending to belong or acting like they are to produce fruit, but they're not. And if you don't cut away the dead branches, it will hinder the fruit being produced on the fruit-bearing branches. Last winter, I did a, um, I got a whole lot of stories when it comes to fruit trees because I am not the best fruit tree dude. When I, when I come to Rock Hill, I love to come to Rock Hill because guess why? Because of the people that are here. See, I know how to fix it up. But I love going through Fort Mill. Now, how many people love to go through Fort Mill and see all those, like, peaches, man? Where do they get them peaches from? Who's taking care of the peaches? You know, it's like, I mean, how, how many people's land, like, comes up against a highway, right? So I'm like, who is taking care of some? One day I would love to meet the dude because uh, there are a lot of fruit trees out there. And I, and I just, you know, the evil in me wants to go up to the, just clean out all the trees and put them all in my car and take them home, right? Sorry about that. I have to be very honest. But, but, the, but, but that's what we see, right? We see all these fruit trees, I mean, all these peaches, and they're, I mean, he not, doesn't miss a beat. It's like every year they start out green, They turn a little yellow, and next thing you know, they're real red, right? Just beautiful peaches, right? Well, last year or last winter, um, I was motivated to do a drastic prune on my tree. And, uh, and, and, you know, know, sap was running in them, and, you know, they were getting real big, and and branches were everywhere, right? But the fruit was scarce. I was like, I I had this big old tree, and and there's no fruit on the vine, right? And some of the old-timers told me, he said, it takes about three to five years in order to get good fruit in a tree, but I was like, you know, I'm from Maryland. I really don't listen to nobody. So, so I said, man, come on now. I said, okay, I got all these branches, so where, where's the fruit? So what I decided to do is take a close inspection of those branches. And, and as I looked, I saw that some branches had little buds on them, and then other branches did not have buds on them. And it hit me. I was like, what is this? I mean, like, how am I going to get fruit if there's no buds coming out of this branch, Right. What I did not realize was that there were some fruit-bearing branches and that there were some dead branches. And so I said, okay, well, here's what I need to do. I need to cut back this whole tree, so I'm going to cut back some of the fruit-bearing branches that have buds on them, 
And then I'm also going to eliminate the ones that are dead. Because I figure if there's no buds on them, what do they need to be on the tree? So after I finished all that, I kind of looked as a novice and said, you know what, I have just destroyed my tree. And I'm not going to get anything. But when the spring came, I saw blossoms everywhere. There was fruit everywhere. And I was like, wow, I really did something right. You see, some of the branches on the tree were supposed to be there because they were going to bear fruit. But there were other branches that looked like branches that were actually pretending to be fruit-bearing, but they really were not. Jesus is saying, I am the true vine, and real branches or believers will be pruned to bear fruit for God's glory, and fake branches or fake Christians will be cut down, thrown away in the fire, and burned in judgment. What is Jesus talking about? Jesus is trying to help them understand what just happened to Judas. Jesus is showing them that they can trust in his word as they move forward from here. They can understand that Judas was a fake branch or a dead branch or a fake believer, and he had to eliminate him for the production of the good, tr- good branch. You say, well, how is our Christians pruned? The Bible says through the word of God. Fake branches are cut away, cast in the fire. Christians are actually pruned by the word of God. Not just certain books of the Bible, not just the epistles, and, and not just, you know, and not just like Judges and, and not just like Colossians. No, Christians are pruned through the 66 books of the Bible. Look at verse 3. He says, already you are clean because of what? Because of the word that I have spoken to you. You see, he says that the fruit-bearing branches, he says, you are cleaned or you are pruned because of the word that I have spoken to you. He says, you are already free of guilt. You are already unsold. You already are set free. Why? Because of the word, the scriptures. Now, does this mean that, that you are pruned and that's it? No, it means that in order to bear more fruit, the word has to continually be pruning your heart. You see, apart from the word, there is no pruning. You see, fruit-bearing branches aren't perfect. If they were perfect, they wouldn't need pruning. Why do we need to be pruned? Why do you need to be pruned? Why do I need to be pruned? Wasn't Jesus enough? Yes, Jesus was enough. But there are still areas of inbred sin remaining in the best of God's people that needs to be removed. You see, the word of God made alive by the Holy Spirit cleanses the Christian. And so this whole paradigm of the word being the pruner is maybe hitting you off balance. And you're saying, well, I thought affliction and suffering did all the pruning. You know, I thought going through hard times and losing things was part of God's pruning. I thought when people left and, uh, you know, broken relationships, I, I thought that was the way that, that, that God was pruning I like what Spurgeon says. Spurgeon says, affliction sharpens up the word of God. You see, God uses affliction so that we can pay attention to God's word. You see, if we never had an affliction and never had suffering and never went through hard times, I don't think we would be as eager as we are about God's word. But affliction causes us to pay attention to God's word. 
Affliction makes us ready to feel the word. You see, in affliction or hard times or difficulties, the word makes so much more sense. You see, when, we, when you turn to despair in your affliction, you don't get the word. But when you turn to God's word in affliction, guess what happens? The word just opens up. Some of the, some of the, most, some of the, the, the greatest spiritual growth that I've experienced in my life has come through affliction. You see, oftentimes we try to run from affliction. We say, oh, no, no, please, God, take away that, take away that. You know, we ought not ask God to take away affliction because he promised that we would be afflicted. Affliction wakes us up to God's word. You see, without affliction, we would just be self-righteous and just be off into our own world, doing our own thing, thinking we're the greatest thing since sliced bread. But God in his love allows affliction so that we can wake up to God's word. And so God's word can begin to prune those areas of our heart. So, so you're going through something right now. You're experiencing some hard times. It is not to lead you to despair. It is not to lead you away from Jesus. It's not for you to take your own life or give up. It is so that the word of God will soften your heart and prune away the things in you that are hindering you from producing growth in your life and fruit in your life. See, I, I, I stopped asking God to take away affliction. I just asked God, give me grace as I go through affliction. Help me to see Jesus in the midst of my affliction. Help me not to just pray it all, pray it all the way all the time or act like I'm just too good. I'm living in South Charlotte. I shouldn't be experiencing that. Do that over in the urban setting. Do that away from me, not in my backyard, right? Do that in my heart, Jesus. You see, the gristle that comes from being a Christian should come from us being on our knees in God's word in the midst of affliction and prayer. Let me tell you something. Your church is going to go through some suffering. It's going to go through some affliction, and God is going to test whether you really have the commitment of your pastor and the vision that God has given him. You see, affliction can easily send you off and say, you know what, I need to go to a church that makes me feel better about myself. I need to go to a church that makes me feel good. No, affliction is going to warm you up to God's word so that God can begin to prune away the things that are gripping our hearts. Now, let me tell you something about God's love. If God didn't love us, he wouldn't prune us. Isn't that good news? God loves you, so because he loves you, he prunes you. Are you kidding me? But pruning just seems so painful. It's because he loves us. You see, God prunes us in the power of his spirit in order for us to bring Christ more glory. You see, before affliction, we were real impatient, weren't we? We have no tolerance for nothing, right? But after affliction, as we seek God's word, God prunes away that impatience. And, this, and what is the fruit? What does the spirit show up? It shows patience, right? We were real arrogant. We were real selfish before affliction. But after that, after we went through something and God's word opened up to us, guess what? We're very patient. We're we're walking in humility by God's grace. You see, affliction warms us up to God's word, and, and God's word comes in and does the necessary pruning within our lives. So why do we need God's word? It's very clear. We need God's word read. We need God's word preached to us. We need God's word studied. Why? So that we can be pruned from the word. And so all that rebellion can come out of our heart. Listen to me. The word is the instrument of cleansing. It's the instrument of cleansing. 
And so if I live my life independent of the word, guess what I'm not experiencing? Cleansing in my heart. You see, I don't get up and spend time with God just because I have to. I get up and spend time with God because I get to. I get, I get to. A rebel, a sinner with a wicked heart gets to spend time in God's word. Are you kidding me? See, I don't do it because, uh, because I can check off the box and I can say, I did that today, so now I should have a good day. No, I do it because I get to, man. God, God wants to reveal himself to me. He is waiting for me. Every time I open up the word, God is saying, hello. Right? Create that imagery in your mind so that whenever the book is closed, God is not talking. Although he moves through his spirit and he moves through people. But you know what I'm talking about. When you open up the word, say, hello. I'm telling you, man, I am trying to walk this thing out. I'm to the point where I wake up in the morning, I'm like, hello, Holy Spirit. Let's get it. Because what? He's in there, right? Somewhere. (laughs) Hello, Holy Spirit. You know, open the, hello, God. You know, but if I try to live my life independent of him and still desire to be fruitful in life and ministry and family, that's real weird, isn't it? Well, that's what we do. You see, we need the word, and that's why he says in verse 4, what is he saying? He says all of verses 1 through 3 in order to get to the point and say this. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, How many branches do you know can survive apart from the tree? None. None. But don't we do that? Huh? We kind of like, I'm saved. I got this. All right, let's go. You know, it's like, huh? No, I I don't think any branch can survive apart from the tree. Matter of fact, you get a little little barely break off the tree, and that thing is dead, let alone being taken apart from it. He says, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Listen to me. Jesus wants to bear fruit through your life. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. Jesus wants to bear fruit through your life. If you know him, he wants to bear fruit through you. If you don't know him, he wants you to come to know him so that you can bear fruit. He wants to blow up in your life. He doesn't want you to retire on him. He doesn't want you to make the excuse that, oh, I am too young. I I still got a lot more things to do before I really get serious for the Lord. No, he wants to blow up in your life, every single one of you. You say, me? Are you kidding me? Yes, you. I never thought that God would have the ability to do the things that he's doing in my life. Are you kidding? Me? Why? For my good and his glory. So if you don't remember nothing else today, know he wants to bear a lot of fruit in your life. Not just for you, not for you to stockpile it, not for you to stick your chest out. No, so that other people around you can feast on the goodness of God seen in your life. 
See, our God is a, he's a vine. He, he has this, this endless supply of sap that will produce fruit in its branches. But the branches have to abide in the vine. We, ha- we can't just get saved and then just leave everything else to just chance. You know, maybe I'll do great work to God for God. No, no, he wants you to. But you have to abide in him, right? Now, what does abide mean? Abide literally means to remain in, to dwell in Christ. You see, we are in Christ, but we get to dwell in Christ. We get to feed in Christ, right? We don't just get to go in the house. We get to go in the house and enjoy the house, right? We, are, we, we, don't, have a, we don't just have a house, a house. We are in the house. We can feast in the house. And he's saying, abide in me, which means to feed in me, feed on me, feed, uh, be nourished by me. Completely rely on me. Continue in a day and uh, a daily and a personal relationship with me. Live like you know me. Right? I was telling the first service that these Olympics, man, have just got me completely off my routine. I am tired as a dog right now. Why? Because I've been up all night watching Olympics, right? For almost seven days straight. Some of you young people, y'all said, that ain't nothing. I could do that any day. But, man, when you get to 40s, man, you just can't. I mean, you just need some sleep, right? Can I get an amen on that one, please? You're tired, right? But I'm telling you, you know, I found myself just feasting on the Olympics, right? So I had a hard day, tired day. I'm just sitting there just glued, right? Jesus says nothing wrong with feasting on uh, enjoying the Olympics, but you need to feast on me. Come to me in prayer. Come to me in, your, in my word. Let me speak to you. Let me, let me get an opportunity to prune some of the things away some of the dependencies that you have, like your security and your comfort and your, your, you know, your, your, your success. Let me prune that stuff out of your heart. You see, Jesus is saying, come to me. Completely rely on me. Stay in my grace. Calvin says, stay in the grace that you have received. Continue believing, trusting, praying, obeying, and experiencing joy. Now think about this for a minute. What, what happens to us when we stop reading and praying and studying God's word? What happens? Let's get dry, don't we? Get real brittle. Get kind of fleshly, you know, just kind of don't really want to be around. People don't want to be around us. It's kind of dry spiritually. It happens because we aren't abiding, Right? We aren't finding our delight in Christ. We're finding our delight in something else. And people can see it. And we know it within our hearts. You see, Jesus is telling his disciples to abide in him because he knows their tendency to spiritually coast. They like to go fishing, right? (laughs) Hey, ain't nothing else to do. Let's go fish. He knows we like to spiritually coast. He knows we like to rely on ourselves. He knows we like to enjoy grace and do us. He knows we like to abide in ourselves. He knows we like to learn a lot about him for our own pride, but don't depend upon him on a daily basis. He knows that we become distracted and uninterested and despondent. He knows that. And so he commands us. He says, abide in me. Now, let me tell you something. Here's what I have to understand in my life. I have to create pictures for myself. You see, Jesus is like a... And this is not, this is not pro- prosperity theology. Please cancel that out of your mind. 
it's like, it's like having an infinite supply of money in the bank, but we're satisfied only living on pocket change. You just got like crazy mad money in the bank. But you're content to like put quarters together to go buy number twos at Chick-fil-A, right? I mean, if you know, I mean, if, if he got all that, you know, hey, let's, let's go to the reservoir and let's seek and let's ask him to, to not only feed us, but also feed those around us, right? He's saying, you have infinite resources in me. Just abide in me. Remain in me. Dwell in me. Stay in me. Don't, 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 don't use me like just wanting this and that and then you live the rest of your life for yourself. No, you have an infinite supply of me that I have given you so that you can find delight in. Oh, man. If we perceived God like that, we wouldn't stop going to him, would we? Let me tell you something, and, I, and this is what I told myself. I need to stop living like a beggar or an impoverished person, and I need to go to the bank. I need to stop living like I am outside of Christ and live like I am in Christ. And that doesn't mean that I go and I just spend it all on myself. No. I go to find nourishment in him and satisfaction in him so the world around me can see Jesus and know Jesus personally. But I think sometimes as Christians, we live like beggars. We, we live like we're impoverished. But no, we got a father who has an infinite supply. You see, it's so easy to receive grace, but abiding means that we stay in grace. You see, your salvation wasn't just to get you saved. Your salvation was that you would grow in grace. And that's what Jesus says. Grow in grace of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep growing in grace. Grow in what grace? Grow in the gospel of grace. So as I grow in the gospel of grace, I get to see more and more of who this Jesus is. If I stop or if I turn away from him, then I miss out on the beautiful opportunity that he gives me. Jesus says, keep in the grace of God moment by moment and day after day. That's good news, isn't it? It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how, how young you are. You can stay in God's grace. You can go back and forth to the gospel and say, man, I can't believe a God loves me like this. Oh, my. Wow. Feed my soul, Lord. Take away the things in me that are not right. Guide me. Help me to see joy. Help me to see you in a new way. Help me to love you and enjoy you. We need to stop convincing ourselves that we can live without depending on Christ. He says, you can't. Look at verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. But we are convinced in ourselves that we cannot abide in him and do something. But he says we can do nothing apart from him. I love this because I believe in verse 5, Jesus is telling them, He's trying to give him a point of clarification. As you live your life, know this. I am the vine and you're not. I am the one that has infinite supply and you're the one that does not. I believe that's what he's saying. Because he says, I am the vine, you're the branches. Don't we need that reminder sometimes? 
Yes, no? Absolutely. I need that all the time because there are, there's something in me that wants to rule my life. And there's something in you that wants to rule your life. And we need the reminder, I am the vine, you are the branches. Okay, I'm the branch, right? You pop a pose, right? You're like a branch. I'm not the vine, right? I'm the branch. I need the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine. I have all the sufficient strength and energy flowing through me that you need. Everything we need in Christ, we have. He says, don't try to be a self-sufficient vine. He says, you are a branch. He says, you will bear much fruit if you abide in me. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, oftentimes I need to repent in my life, and you need to repent in your life, that you try to do things apart from him. Do you know that apart from Christ, we can bear no fruit that is good and acceptable to God? Nothing. But yet there's something in us that says, I can. I can. You know, it's almost like a stubborn child. <laughs> you say, I can't, but, but no, I can. You say, I can't, but no, you say, I can, right? And Jesus has to hit us and say, no, you're the vine. I'm the vine. You are the branches. You see, we're unable to do anything good apart from Christ. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. And listen to me. If I am extremely attentive, intensely earnest, or sincerely prayerful, or brilliantly intelligent, I still can do nothing without Christ. You see, if man had power in himself, there would be no need for God. And so we have to constantly remind ourselves that we could do nothing outside of ourselves. We are the clay, and he is the potter. It is so easy to forget that. Because sometimes I say, you know what? I don't want to get on his wheel. I want to come off the wheel. This is too hard. This is too tiring. This is too consuming. Sometimes you're on that wheel, and you're spinning, and God just crushes it and starts all over. And sometimes his hands even can feel a little jagged. Well, we've got to remember that he is the potter and we are the clay. And so Jesus transitions in this, as he speaks to the, to the believers in this text, he then transitions to speaking to the unbelievers in verse 6. He's talking to the sinner. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Are you kidding Jesus says, here's what I'm going to do to fake branches that don't surrender to me by faith. Here's what I'm going to do. Since they don't abide in me, which means they don't, remind, they don't remain in me because they don't belong to me, they have not surrendered their life to Christ, he says, because they're living in their own strength, one day they're going to be gathered together as dead branches and they're going to be thrown into the fire and they're going to be burned That ought to break your heart. That ought to break your heart that there are some dead branches around us that one day are going to be gathered together and they're going to be thrown into the fire to burn forever. 
Why does this happen? Jesus says, you are absolutely dead in your trespasses of sin, and you have no hope of remedying your situation by yourself. He says, yes, you have all the intelligence in the world. You have all the signs of success. You have all the physical abilities. You work a good job. You got a great place to live. You drive a car. You homeschool. You do all the great things. But let me tell you something. If you don't know me, I will gather you and I will throw you into a fire. You see, we are utterly ruined beyond reach of human ability. We are incapable of producing righteousness apart from Christ. We demand payment for sin, and yet we are broke. You see, as long as you're outside of Christ, you're hopeless. But here's the good news. Here's the good news of the gospel that I want to offer to you that the text gives us. It says, if you repent of your sin and turn to Christ for the forgiveness of sin, he will save you and you will belong to him forever. That's the great news that we have to share. That's the great news that we have to share now that we are abiding in him. We can go out and tell a lost world full of dead branches that you can be made alive. You can become a new creation in Christ. Even though you have no buds on your branch, you can become new in Christ. That's the beautiful news of the gospel. See, I used to be a dead branch. I was in church. I looked like the church, and I was part of the increased numbers, right? When the pastor came around, he counted all the numbers. He said, man, look at God. Boom, 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 all these people that is coming. No, I was a dead branch in a church. And God drew me to himself and saved me. And now I get to bear fruit. And my destiny is not a fire, but a bosom of a father. What a beautiful, grace-given, grace-filled opportunity that God has given to us. And so if you're here today and your branch is dead and you have no fruit on the vine, it may, because you, may be because you don't know Christ. And if Christ is drawing you to himself, my heart is that you will respond to him by faith. That you say, Jesus, I give up. I want you. I want you. I want you to change my life radically. I want you to give me a new life. I want you to give me joy. I want you to give me freedom. I want to find a greater delight when I do come to church. I want to see you blow up in my life and just allow fruit to just pour all over me and come from me. You see, there are benefits to abiding. Look at verse 7. What does he say? He says, if you abide in me, something's going to happen. And my words abide in you, something's going to happen. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Yeah. Instead of relying on myself, guess what? I can ask the Father. I can go to that infinite supply of grace, and I can ask him. Because in my own capacity, I can't figure out all of life. I am not that smart. I don't have that ability. So what I can do is I can go, and I can get on my knees, and I can talk to Jesus, and I can say, Jesus, this is what I'm dealing with in my life. Can you move on my behalf? And then wait, Trust, trusting him that whether I get what I desire or whether I don't, he's still good. He said, here's the benefit. You can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, this is not Lucky Charms, right? This is not a rabbit's foot. This is not name it and claim it. This is not get to get, uh, uh, ask to get. This is you 
abiding in Jesus and his word abiding in you, and you desiring what Jesus desires, and you praying and receiving what you desire. You see, there are so many benefits to abiding in Christ. And one of them is an active and engaging prayer life that is a beautiful thing. He says you can pray to the good pleasure of God as you abide in him. You see, when I don't abide in Christ, guess what I'm praying about? I'm praying about stuff that is just for me. I'm just looking out for me. It's all about me. It's all about me. But when I'm abiding in Christ, I'm playing the good pleasures of God. And I'm starting to have God's heart. I'm starting to have God's eyes. And I'm starting to pray about people, lost people. And I'm starting to ask God's church to move in a trajectory that will bring him the most glory, not me glory. When we're abiding in Christ, we go to work, and we don't think about the stress on the job. We think about who doesn't know Christ. We think about how my work can bring the greatest amount of glory to God. And we get juiced up about that. And it begins to change the, the world around us. Your pastor is a missional pastor. He wants you to go out into the community, and he wants you to be on mission for him, for, for God's glory. And that sounds like a very daunting task, but guess what? It ain't our work. It's Jesus' work, right? But what he commands us to do is abiding him, and he'll do all the work. We're abiding him. He'll bear the fruit. Those people around us that we've been sharing the gospel with, it may be because of our abiding that they have not seen Jesus yet. Let me tell you something. It's not the, the pressure is not on us. The pressure was already put on Christ. All we get to do now is abide in him. thankful that as a missionary pastor, a missional pastor, I don't have to go out and make sure people get saved. No, I need to abide in Christ and allow him to bear the fruit. Some sow, or some plant, some, uh, some sow, some water, but what, what does God do? God gets the increase, right? And then look at the outcome. Look at the outcome. He says, by this my Father is glorified, in verse 8, by this my Father is glorified, by what? That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What? What gets God juiced up? It's not us keeping the Ten Commandments or the Golden Rule. What gets God juiced up is the fact that we're bearing fruit that he produced. That gets him jazzed. He gets tickled by your fruit. He gets juiced up because you are fruit-bearing. Anybody ever thought they could move God? Yeah, you can move God in the fruit that he produces in your life. (sighs) Y'all are not hearing me. What? Are you serious? God gets juiced up by the fact that we bear fruit. So when husband, so you love your wife, and man, God gets, he gets juiced up on that. A wife, you submit unto your husband as unto the Lord. Parents, you obey your children in the Lord, for this is right. You go out and share the good news, regardless if somebody gets saved or not. God gets fired up about that. That is a beautiful thing that we get to move the heart of God. He finds delight in what he does inside of us and through us. Y'all are going to get me preaching and raising my leg in a minute. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. 
What is the world looking for? The world is looking for proof. Does it come from our performance? Does it come from our pretending? No, no. It comes from us abiding in Christ and God bearing fruit in our lives. You see, it's so easy for us to live independent of Christ and still long to have fruit. But guess what? There's a more beautiful picture in the fact of our dependence because in our dependence upon Christ, we then bear fruit. And guess what? God gets real tickled. He gets real excited. You see the Bible, right? Verse 8. What does he do? The Bible says he, what? My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. You bring glory to God when you bear fruit. You see, here's a question for you as you think through and as the songs come uh, after um, I pray. But I want you to think about it. What does my fruit look like? I'm not saying compare with other people. I'm just saying just think in your own life. Just where does my fruit look like? Am I I producing fruit? Um, And what does that fruit look like? Is it God glorifying fruit? Is it bringing glory to Christ? Or is it bringing glory to myself? Here's another question. What's hindering more fruit from coming from your life? Man, all of us, I'm telling you, we're in this game to win, right? We're not trying to play games. We want to be fruit-bearing, right? What is hindering more fruit from coming forward in your life? Let me tell you something. Man, I got so much stuff in my life that that I had to repent of. Confess that sin. Confess it and repent and and ask Jesus to to, to cleanse you of that. Go to his word and allow his word to lovingly prune you and help it remind you of how beautiful Christ is and and how much he loves you and how desirous he is that your, your life count. Your life makes a difference. What does your fruit look like? God wants to bear more fruit in your life. Your pastors want to equip you for the work of the ministry. They want to equip you to be able to reach your your environments. How can you be more loving towards one another? How can you sacrifice more? How can you give of yourself more? can you be more patient with your wife or with your children? How can you be more faithful to God's word? You see, God wants to bear fruit in your life. All he says is just dwell in me, find your nourishment in me, and and look, I'm going to blow this thing up, and I'm going to take care of you. Let's abide in him. Let's repent. Let's, let's, Let's repent earnestly and honestly. Let's get into his word. Let's start applying his word. Let's obey him. Let's pray. And my prayer is that God's grace will help you abide in him. And, 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 and look, I'm, I'm going to be in contact with Fudd, and, and I know God's going to bear fruit in this church. He's already bare, bore fruit in this church. But he wants to bear fruit in your life. And so as these songs are playing, I, I, I pray that if you, 
if you really believe that 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 you are a a branch that is a fruit bearing branch just ask yourself those questions just, what does this all mean Jesus what, what is your spirit saying to me I mean the timing of this message is such that, that God is speaking to you right now. And he is saying something to you. And he wants you to, he wants you to kind of talk to him so that, so that you get it right. And so you, you, you address it and you, you hear it and you obey what he's saying. But some of you all are, are, are dead branches. And you may even be a part of the role, the roster here. Um, but... Let me tell you something. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to perform. You can be honest. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. You need a loving father to take you in his arms and to give you life. And so my prayers as the songs are played that that the the believers would just rest in, in God's goodness and God's grace and Ask Jesus to, to help you abide deeper. You know, this, this, this surface level of Christianity is not going to bear fruit. It, it's, it's, Jesus, take me deeper. Take, take me, take me deeper. Let me dwell in you. Let me dwell in the gospel. Let me not be intimidated by learning more about what this salvation is. And for those who are dead, I offer you life, and that life is only found in Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. And God, we're so undeserving of grace, but yet you give it so freely. Lord, your word to your church is to abide in you so that you can bear, so they can bear fruit. It's very simple. But yet everything in us wants to fight against it. Even now, as I'm talking, there are those here saying, man, I, I, I just can't. No, no, you, yeah, you can't, but he can. God wants to blow up in your life. He wants to do great things. He wants to show his glory through you. And he's just inviting us into an abiding relationship with him. My heart and my prayer for you right now is that, God, you would take Remedy Church deeper in you. Yeah, we get great teaching. We, get, we have a great pastor. We have a great pastoral staff. We have great community. But there's something that needs to happen on a personal level. God, take each partner, each member deeper in you. sense your spirits move. I sense your spirit doing that right now. Take us deeper, God. Take us deeper. And when the fruit is born, help us not to boast in it. Help us to give the glory and honor to Jesus. Celebrating his goodness and his grace in our lives. And for this we pray in Jesus' name.